This is episode 317 of The Amy Ayler Show, all about your inner oppressor and the inner mean girl with my very special guest, Lisa Renee Hall. Oh my goodness, today's show is going to knock your socks off. We are going to go there about unconscious biases and how they are really impacting your inner mean girl dialogue. I am so honored to have Lisa on the show today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Lisa Renee Hall has helped over 30,000 leaders unpack their unconscious biases using her signature process called the Contemplative Methodology. Author of 10 books, Lisa was known as a technology pioneer before turning her attention to disrupting the misinformation hard-coded deep in the mind. Her tips have been featured in The Guardian, American Express Open, Toronto Star, Profit and Inc., to name a few, along with numerous television, radio, and podcast appearances. Make sure to check out her website, lisareneehall.com. And you'll definitely want to check out today's show notes because we have some juicy, juicy, juicy links out to not only Lisa's website, but to a series of a blog post where she asks a series of inquiries that are incredibly powerful and some other resources for you. So you can check that all out at amyaylorshow.com forward slash 317. That's amyaylorshow.com forward slash 317. Now, before we go into the interview, I wanted to say two exciting things. One, did you know that the Inner Mean Girl book, Reform Your Inner Mean Girl, is now out now in paperback? That's actually how Lisa and I got connected even further and how I ended up inviting her onto the show because she was a big fan of the book, did the process in the book, and found it life-changing. And she's been posting on Instagram about that. And so I began following her and just fell in love with her and her work. And then with the release of the paperback, she made another comment on an Instagram post that I did, which I hope you're following me at Amy Ayler's Coach on Instagram. And so I invited her to come onto the show to really talk about how the inner mean girl and the inner oppressor, what that relationship is, and how inner mean girls vary depending on your cultural background. So you are going to love the show. Get ready, get set, go. Oh, Lisa, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I, I'm super excited as well because um, one of your books meant everything to me. So to be able to talk to you, it's like it's like my um, fangirl crush is being satisfied. <laughs> well, the feeling's mutual. Just for all of you listening in here, it's been so fun. We've been um, friends, so to speak, followers of each other on Instagram. And when I saw Lisa post about the Reform Your Inner Mean Girl book, which just came out in paperback, by the way, everyone. So make sure to check out Reform Your Inner Mean Girl. Um, Lisa posted some amazing comments and had done some incredible inner mean girl work, which we're going to talk about today. And I, I like lost my mind. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm like, <laughs> and like doing an Insta story about it. Cause it's just one of those things when someone whose work you admire so much, you find out they admire your work. It's just such a beautiful awesome. thing. <laughs> yeah. So I would love for you to share with us a bit about how you got started in the work that you're doing in the world and how that really relates in your mind and heart with the inner mean girl work I had um let's see so many places I can begin so what I what (laughs) what I do now is I help highly sensitive leaders to reconnect with their sensitivities and to unpack their unconscious biases and 
I speak to those with, uh, I mentioned highly sensitive, but also gentle personalities and Mm. tender personalities who want to do the work of unpacking, but find some of the other methods to be, uh, that doesn't align with who they are. And um, as a tender, quiet person. Mm. Mm. And so I didn't expect to move into this work. In fact, what I did is in um, 2017, I had uh, I had gotten up at 4.30 a.m. on January 3rd, 2017. <laughs> and it was, oh, dark o'clock up here in uh, Toronto where I live and work. And But I was determined to write my first book of fiction. Yes. And I had this book stuck in my head for about seven years. And so... I sat down at my computer and said, okay, now's the year. Now's the time. Let's do it. And I felt that waking up at that time in the morning was the only time of the day that I could control. Right. (laughs) Before others started to demand my time. (laughs) I'm sure no one here listening knows what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I had um, scoped out, I had outlined the chapters. And so what I aimed to do was write a chapter a day. Mm. And I did that for 59 straight mornings, even on the weekends, waking up at 4.30 a.m. and writing this chapter a day. And so on the 60th morning, I woke up and I had experienced a professional setback. And so I sat down and I wrote about my disappointment. And I wasn't done. So on the 61st morning, I wrote about my feelings and my angst about that professional setback. And Amy, what I ended up doing is focusing more on the character of Lisa. Who is she? What are the stories I believed? Mm, mm. And how can I use writing as a way to deconstruct those stories, to find the true essence of who Lisa Renee Hall really is? Mm. So, um, so yeah, so that's how I, I, and then about eight or nine months in, I wrote a blog post after getting into a back and forth with a white dude who on Facebook, and one probably one of the worst pr- places you can argue with someone is Facebook. <laughs> so, totally. <laughs> and it's so easy to get hooked. I, and it's so easy to get hooked. Oh my goodness. So he had yeah. posted to one of my colleagues, one of my colleagues was going through a, ba- a bit of back and forth. And he was adamant that as a poor white man from the UK, that the world is against him. Mm. Yet when others jumped in to share their social and biological identifications he got angry and said you know I'm not into these identity politics so it was bizarre right Mm. so bizarre here you are complaining that you're this and you're that but when others try to make a connection with you based on their own identities you reject it so I had been using expressive writing and I had developed a few questions along the way to answer while I write to help focus my writings and so I offered a few to him I said hey dude it looks like you're, you, you know, you're upset and whatever. Here are some questions. I suggest you sit down each morning for 20 minutes and write. And just write free form, whatever's on your mind. That whole process of writing free form, that's something that Julia Cameron wrote about in her book, The Artist's Way. Right. And so I offered it to him. And then he came back and said, you whole foods eating 
lefty li- American liberal, you know, take like he told like he just went off on me. Wow. <laughs> it was so bizarre. Yeah. And so I said, first of all, I'm not American, I'm Canadian. And secondly, how dare you? <laughs> and and then I I can't say I was proud of my behavior, but I was, you know. In, in response to him. But so what I did with those writing prompts is I said, if he's not going to use them, then I'll post them on my blog. And these are nine expressive writing prompts to help you unpack white privilege, white, uh, white fragility and spiritual bypassing. And so Amy, a little did I know that that blog post would be shared as many times as it did. Wow. So I click, I posted it. I left my computer, went to dinner did a few errands, ran a few errands. And when I came back four hours later, the blog post had been shared a thousand times. Wow. And a, and a, and a post on my blog is typically shared in its lifetime 150 times. Wow. I mean, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 indeed. <laughs> right. And then the numbers just kept climbing and climbing. When it, and then in, in a month, it had been shared 10,000 times. And now at the time of this recording, it's been shared 16,000 times. Wow. So it was apparent that people needed this particular modality to help them unpack their inner oppression, unpack their inner um, biases, and it continued to develop from there into where I am today. I love that. And there's so many things I love about that. I just have to highlight a few of them. But the fact that you took that time and created, you know, it, it... in the inner mean girl work, we talk a lot about that you can't create time, but you can create space. It's about carving out that space. And I loved that you carved out that space at 4.30 in the morning for yourself. And then lo and behold, it became this series of inquiries for yourself and really the main character being you instead of this fictional character. And then for you to write your heart and, and to come up with these inquiries and just put them up on a blog post. Sounds simple. And then for the universe to just flood in with all of this attention. And so I really want to encourage everyone to go to Lisa's website at lisareneehall.com and check out these inquiries because this work that you're doing is so important for all of us to do. And especially, I know I have a lot of listeners that are white privileged women like myself, that this work is something that as you and I spoke about before we started recording and in another conversation, it's something that I've been working on personally myself. It's, it, it will be a lifelong process. I feel like a kindergartner still in that process. And yep, it's for sure. so important. It's <laughs> so important. And there's so much richness and juice and soul and grit and importance in doing that work. So very true. So very true. And, and as you said, it's, it's not a one and done. Right. It's, uh, I've had people come to my workshops and sit in with me for a day and they're excited. They're yes, yes, yes. I want to be a facilitator too. Can I be certified? And I know that that one time is not enough. Some people will come and they they check something off a check um, checklist. Right. I did the DEI training, the diversity um, equity and inclusion training. I'm done. Right. But I right. like to tell people that it took generations for your biases to take shape. Mm. It's going to take generations or at least years for those, for you to shake through those unconscious biases. Absolutely. And this is why I love being a mom and having girls that are 
have two daughters, as most of you know, and my oldest is in seventh grade right now. And we are so lucky and blessed to have her at this incredibly progressive school. And she's teaching me all the time. I mean, the things that she's learning at 12 12 years old are things at 46 years old that I, some of them I haven't even heard of. And it's so, it's so encouraging to be like, oh, right. Okay, great. So you're learning this now. And then I think with my five-year-old, when she turns 12 in seven years, it's like, what is she going to be teaching me? I can't wait to see, like keep tuning in. So yeah. And I think that's, that's so important. And, and then to, to have what I love is that then this inner mean girl work Mm -hmm. and the reform your inner mean girl book and how our inner mean girls what, what do you view as their role when we look at things like white fragility, when we look at things like our inner oppressor? Like, talk to me mm-hmm. a little bit about that. So what, uh, so with the inner, reform your inner mean girl, I remember doing this work when I um, heard you and the, your co-author in an interview. Yes. And, I, and this was back in, I think it was 2015. Yeah, that's when the book came out, Christina Rilo and myself. Yes. Yes, yes. And so I, I had... Um, I had exited yet another relationship with a narcissistic guy. Mm. And (laughs) so when I heard the book and it was just at the right time. So I worked through it and came up with the, my inner mean girl, her name is dissatisfied Diane. (laughs) I had an artist kind of conceptualize what she looks like. So I posted her on Instagram and talked about what she was so dissatisfied about. So fast forward all these years later, and what I do in my workshops is I have attendees draw their inner oppressor. And it's fascinating because a lot of the characteristics that they describe of their inner oppressor, now sometimes the inner oppressor that they draw is overwhelmingly a white woman. Uh Uh-huh. So that's fascinating to me. I have yet to meet anyone who draws their inner oppressor as a black woman or as an East Asian woman. It's always a white woman that's drawn on the page. That's fascinating. Fascinating. And and is that, so wait, just for clarity, is that usually with people that are also white? It, 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 yes. Typically it is. Okay. Typically it is. Yeah. But I'm also surprised to see now if there's men in the group, the men typically draw a white man as their inner oppressor, even Uh despite no matter what their skin color is. It's always a white. Yeah. Well, well, and that makes sense, right? Like when you think of sticking it to the man, you usually think of a white old dude that's there, you know, that's the man, right? Yep. That's the man. So it's fascinating to me that, um, how we conceptualize our inner oppressor always falls in line with the white woman. Yeah, And what I hear from them when they describe it, because we go around and we say, could describe what you've drawn. And they talk, a lot of them connect it with a mommy wound. Mm-hmm. They'll say something like this is, you know, they'll describe their inner oppressor as a white woman. And they'll say, you know, that's a lot like my mom. So there's some wounding there about, with their relationship with mom. Mm-hmm. Often I'll hear the the need to hide away because, you know, it's just too hard out there. And so one person drew her inner oppressor as a woman with headphones on, sitting in her bed, watching Netflix. Interesting. And so there is a direct correlation between this idea of the inner oppressor being a white woman and then the characteristics of the inner mean girl. You know, the, the, the desire for, um, for saying that, you know, you've got to rush through things. And a lot of the inner mean, the, the inner mean girl characteristics 
that you write about in the book are the characteristics of a culture of white supremacy. Oh, tell me more. Yeah, so, so there's this um, report that was written by a woman by the name of Tema Okun. You can actually find it at dismantlingracism.org. Mm-hmm. And this report lists the 15 characteristics of the culture of white supremacy. So, okay, see if you recognize any of these with the characteristics of the inner mean girl. So one of the characteristics of a culture of white supremacy is this. So, so white supremacy is where those with white skin are prioritized. Those with white skin and, and, and even white passing people of color, they're prioritized, their feelings are prioritized, the culture surrounds them. And so some of the characteristics that we see is the need for perfection. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's an aspect of the culture of white supremacy. Uh, the need to be right and the need for comfort. Um, always rushing. Like it has to be done now. Yep. The, um, the, 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 the authority given to the written word. That's another characteristic of the culture of white supremacy. Um, um, always being on the go, as I mentioned before, never resting. Yeah. You know, always go, 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 go. Like these are all elements of the culture of white supremacy that comes out when people are describing their inner oppressor, which then aligns with some of the characteristics of the inner mean girl. This is so mind-blowing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, it's all related, right? And it, it goes to show that how we've been socialized, how we've been culturalized. Can I even say that word? <laughs> you can say it here on the Amy Ayler show. You can say anything you want, Lisa. <laughs> that how these things, and, and um, individualism is also a trait of the culture of white supremacy. In our workplaces, we mm. often don't look at the team. We look at ourselves, you right. know, how can I get ahead? And um, um, hoarding power, fear of open conflict, uh, either or thinking instead of, you know, the nuanced thinking. So like right. all of these are just part of the sense of urgency, defensiveness, and, and especially perfectionism. That's huge. It's huge. Yeah, well, and so this is so interesting. The One of the last shows here on the Amy Ayler Show, we talked about the inner patriarchy. Yes. And now here we are talking about the inner oppressor, talking about the way that racism has seeped into our inner critics. And, and, mm-hmm. and so to really look at this, I'm, I'm curious for you, when you work with women of color, what do you notice is, is there a difference that you would say between the way the inner mean girl surfaces between people, women of color, for example, versus white women, for example? I do. I do. And it's interesting you ask that because the expectations on women of color Mm. are different. Mm. And the way that, so there's this idea of the model, the model minority, that if you are a person of color, a woman of color, then if you can act according to the dominant culture, if you can, if you can be as close to white as possible, right. then you should be able to get all the benefits that whiteness gives, that, that a culture of white supremacy gives. That if you rush, if you are perfect, then you should get certain things. 
And so what I notice amongst women of color, once they do this work, they draw the inner oppressor, they start to decolonize, decompress and and distance themselves from this uh, part of themselves that judges and criticizes is like, there's a sense of um, fatigue Mm. that they start to recognize that this quest to try to align with an image that they can never attain to. And, and it, it, it elicits within them the sense of disappointment in themselves. And I see the relief that washes over them as they realize that it is okay to be you. Yeah. That some of the expectations that are put out there are, are rooted in, in, in a historical and, and it's rooted in a generational, uh, what am I trying to say? It's rooted in um, historical realities that, uh, that have been put on them by the dominant culture. So for example, when I'm doing the, uh, when I was doing reform, the inner mean girl. Yeah. One of the things that I had to work through was this idea of rushing. Yes. And overachieving. Yes. And being a people pleaser. Yes. But when, as a black woman, it, it, it shows up differently because as a black woman, black women have always been expected to do more, to be more in order to just get the scraps from the table. That as a black woman, my labor has not been respected being a descendant of chattel slavery. And so the dynamics of rushing and the dynamics of protecting my labor takes on a different meaning than it would for a white woman. Because as a black woman, my labor isn't to prioritize. My humanity at the end of the day is not prioritized. Right. Wow. So it's interesting because, of course, I relate to the perfectionism, the overachieving, the like that that quest for being that ideal woman. You know, I always, I think in my first book, Big Fat Lies Women Tell Themselves, I say something about you know, we're supposed to bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, never Mm -hmm. let, you know, your partner forget he's a man or a woman, depending on your preference and have perky boobs and a perfect ass. Like it's like, right. right, You know, like it's, it's just, it's unattainable and Mm -hmm. nobody can, can, can reach up for it. But then it's like, you add then that the thing that you're trying to go after is somehow then a woman that doesn't even look like you at all. That's it. Right. Because, so, so, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want no, to add this, great. that um, even the aspect of appearing weak, that, that takes on different meaning for white women than it does for black women. And I'm going to speak specifically about black women because that's who I am. That's my experience. Yes. And yeah. it's not to negate the experience of other women of color. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, so for example, um, messages such as be strong and, um, uh, um, let's not, I've seen a lot of women use the, the language like badass, you know, uh-huh. and, um, the other day, uh, there was this uh, meme that was going on about being a nasty woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, thank, you, thank you, Janet Jackson. Tip of the hat. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a song. And then, uh, but all of that language doesn't resonate with black, with a black, with black women in general, mm-hmm. because throughout history, we have been shown to be really strong. And so our femininity has been removed 
through these, these, these racist stereotypes. Mm. So the idea of being strong fits into the stereotype of the strong black woman. And there's studies that are coming out that showing that that archetype of having it all together, saving your community, holding it dead together for your family. And, and not to say that this doesn't, isn't experienced by white women, because if you're a mother, you know how, um, how destructive it can be to try to have everything together and hold it all together. But it takes on a different meaning with black women because they're not even allowed to cry. Ugh. They're not even allowed to show weakness. Yeah. And so in essence, that, that archetype of the strong black woman is causing so much, and there's studies out there causing mental illness, it's causing breakdown. And so a black woman, in order to embrace her softness, that to a black woman is a sign of reclaiming her femininity. Femininity, where the, on the opposite side for many, because history has always seen white women as the damsel in distress who always needs to be saved. Right. White women are busy trying to show that they're strong and fierce. Right. And so this dichotomy is one of the reasons why the feminist movement is having trouble trying to stand with and stand, stand with all women because we, we can't even define what our needs really are because they're so different. What you just said is incredibly powerful. That, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I really, really get that. That how as a white woman, the, you know, and a, and a lot of the women that I coach or that are in, you know, colleagues of mine or friends of mine that are, fellow white women, this desire to look like we have it all together, the quest for being strong, the we can do hard things anthem that's supposed to be playing in the background that we're supposed to put on, right. on posters in our kids' rooms. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you can do it, girl, you know, girl power, this or whatever. And, and, and how that is the perception that we're going towards all the time, that we're trying to construct, that we're trying to frantically put on our you know, on our social media feeds as we curate what that looks like, Yes, absolutely. you know, <laughs> and then, and from what I'm hearing from you, then for black women who have not tried to have it all together or be strong, they've had to have it all together and yes. be strong Yes, because of where they've come from, because of the history. Yes. Um, and then for them, they're trying to have a place where they can be soft, where they can be feminine. That's it. And, and so if we understand this as coaches, as when you're coaching, yes, then you, you have to understand that how you coach one person, well, first of all, how you coach one person isn't how you coach everyone. Right. And it's one of the reasons why the coaching industry is having such trouble right now. Because, yes. You know, we're yes. trying to, to, to create this blueprint, the secrets, you know, Step-by-step right. step secrets, you know, right. enroll and I'm going right. to solve your problem. When everyone needs a unique approach and not just coaching, but therapy is also going through a shakeup, the speaking industry, because we also have to acknowledge the systemic issues which affect a woman of color versus a white woman. That if you're going to coach and keep, and, and if you're going to coach and keep your workshop spaces safe, you have to acknowledge that each person will walk in with their stories yeah. and also the systemic issues that are blocking them. Because no matter, Amy, no matter, and I say this to whoever, no matter how many affirmations I cite, 
no matter how many <laughs> prayers I put, no matter how many breaths I take, yeah. I can go out on the street corner right now and someone will drive by and call me the N-word. No. Right. So, and, and so are you going to tell me that my, that my energy attracted that? Is that true? Lisa, you would have that experience literally? I would, yes, literally. Literally. I mean, uh, <laughs> literally. Uh, you know, I'm like the typical white woman over here, like aghast. <laughs> like, yes. And, and the person that called me the N-word is probably your son, your uncle. Yeah. It's probably your father. Could right. even be your daughter. Mm. Not just you, Amy, but I mean, yeah, yeah. anyone listening. Right. right. So my point here is that no matter how positive I try to be, there are systemic issues that are in my way as a black woman. Yes. Do I, does it keep me stuck? No, but that's my reality. A coach who can understand that is a coach that will have a full practice. <laughs> Don't spiritual bypass me, please. Don't tell me if I think positively I won't attract this stuff because I'll tell you this, no person of color is out there trying to attract racism. <laughs> this is so incredible and so powerful. I wish you could see me because I have like tears in my eyes and I'm like nodding my head. And, it's, and this is for me personally right now, I just want to say it's, you know, when I look at my keynote that I've been really dialing in and working on for the last few years and constantly I'm adding different things to, and I, and I have um, a moment at the beginning of my keynote where I talk about systemic racism and systemic sexism and say, I, as we go through this talk, I need to say right now that those are real, that this is happening. And I know that because, you know, I talk a lot about how being hard on ourselves is one of the key things holding us back as women from rising. And I believe that with all my heart and now, based on this conversation, I get to also talk even more about what the, the different textures are of being hard on ourselves and how that might differ for women from different cultures. Absolutely. And, and let me just add, because yeah. I can see Please. the emails coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I share this with you because part of releasing your inner mean girl, part of releasing your inner oppressor is to release the need to save people, to rescue them. Mm -hmm. It's the, to release the need to teach and coach. Mm. I'm sharing this with you, Amy, and I, I know that someone's going to be like, oh, if Elisa only knew how much she was loved, let me say, I don't need to be taught, coached, right. teach, coddled. I don't need it. I'm sharing with you my lived experience, not so that you can come and show up in my inbox and say, I'm a good white woman. You would <laughs> never get that from me. That's called white innocence, white exceptionalism. Mm. I'm not telling you this so that you can minimize and dismiss my lived experience. That's called white fragility. There's a name for every action. Yes. <laughs> Un yes. Unfortunately. Yes. I share this with you so that you are aware of what's true for someone who operates with my skin color. Yes. So I'd like you to keep your apologies to yourself. Mm. I'd like you to keep the coddling to yourself. I don't need to be parented. I don't need laws of attraction declarations <laughs> to cite. Instead, I want you to do what Amy's doing, which is to use her, your platform as a means to highlight different voices and not highlight those voices so that they can persist and talk about the experience of living in their skin. 
because just because, I mean, I'm unique. I talk about what it means to live in my skin and I teach people how to unpack their unconscious biases. But there is a really smart East Asian woman who knows technology. Invite her to your platform to talk about technology. Mm. There is a really brilliant South Asian woman who can talk about social media. Mm. Invite her to speak about social media. So avoid the need to tokenize and reduce someone to a function of their biology. Instead, when you're inviting people to your platform, do so not because, well, I'm a good white person and now I have, you know, diversity, but because you honor and respect the expertise that's coming with that person. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing having, whether it's a podcast or an email list or whatever it is. And I know there's a lot of coaches that listen to my show that are also in this industry where there is such an, an uprising of people wanting to have more diversity and wanting to have more inclusivity and wanting, and like genuinely from that authentic place. And it can be so challenging to then not go into all the things that you just named. Yeah. And, and, and I have an acronym that I I use. It's AIM, A-I-M. And what I say is that you need to take aim at your unconscious biases And so the A and AIM is awareness. Most people become aware of their unconscious bias. You know, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of different ways someone becomes aware. And what people immediately do is they jump to the M, which is motion. Mm. They become aware of their unconscious bias, and now they jump into taking action. And that's where the harm is created. So, for example, a workshop leader will say, oh, my goodness, I've become aware that my workshop space is too white. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer scholarships to people of color. And I'm going to post that on my webpage. And I'm going to tell them, if you're a person of color, email my office. And we are going to give you a reduced admission to my next three-day event. Mm. Not knowing that that action actually perpetuates racism. And how? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, can you share how, it, how that does that? Yeah. And, and how that does that is because you're making the assumption that the reason why people of color are not entering <laughs> right. into your space is because they're poor. Right. <laughs> when in fact, there's rich white, um, people of color. There's also poor yes. white people, yes. you know, so, so we have to go back instead of saying, I'm aware of a God unconscious bias. Let me take action. I mean, I have several different examples, but let's yeah. just stick with that. Yes. But, so instead of, or, you know, someone it gets called out for the racism, blackface or whatever, and then they immediately jump into the apology. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic because most people use the apology to silence, not necessarily to demonstrate change behavior. Right. <laughs> right. So what we need to do is we need to back up because it's not I am. The acronym is not take am at your unconscious biases. It's take aim. And so after we become aware, before we jump into the M, which then perpetuates oppression, back up and do the I, which is to interrupt your unconscious biases. And the way to interrupt your unconscious biases is to use some sort of contemplative practice to self-inquire about what's rooted deep within. 
And when we do that, now we can start to interrogate, okay, why do I react this way with people of color? Why do I do this? Why do I do that? Why did I react that way? And those nine writing prompts on my website is a great place to start. Awesome. And we'll be linking in the show notes to your website, of course, as well as directly to that blog post so that people can take a look at those things. And I can't believe we have to wrap up already, but what? I know we have so much more to say. Will you come back on the show again next year? Anytime for you. Anytime. Oh my gosh. I would love it. I've, I've learned so much from this conversation and I know my listeners have too. And it's just this work, everyone listening. I mean, I know that there's people who are incredibly uncomfortable right now. I know there's people who feel caught, like totally busted on something that they've done. (laughs) I know that there's people that are intrigued. I know that there's people who probably feel seen and heard in a way that they haven't on this show before. And I just bow down to all of it and just always want to create an atmosphere where we can learn and where we can do better and where we can really investigate that inner world and that inner mean girl and that inner oppressor. And it's, I think it's such an interesting thing, this overlap in this work that you're doing with the inner mean girl work. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing, Lisa. I'm just so grateful. Thank you, Amy. So can I have I, a final, uh, yeah, go ahead. And then I have I just, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just, uh, you know, ask your final question. Yes, please. Okay. This is a question I ask all my guests. So it's, What's messy and what's magical about your life right now? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) What's messy about my life is that I'm aware that I'm a flawed human being. (laughs) That's what's, and what's magical about my life is that I am a flawed human being. (laughs) Yes. And I'm so glad you said what you said, Amy, about the different listeners who are listening right now and are are in all their fields. And I want to leave you with this, that until you can accept the humanity in yourself, you're going to have a tough time accepting the humanity in others. Mm. Humanity is not based on perfection. It's not based on this quest for positivity. Your humanity rests on accepting your shadow, accepting your inner mean girl your, and your inner wisdom. They both coincide within. Your humanity rests on your nuances that you are both and. You can be both uncomfortable and intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> you can be both angry and desiring justice Mm. and a process of using self-reflection and inquiring deep within is the tool that you'll need to continue to do this work, show up authentically as yourself and finally accept the nuances in yourself. That ladies and gentlemen in, and others, <laughs> is Lisa Renee Hall. Please make sure to check out her work, her website, join her Patreon community. She's doing incredible work in the world. I'm a member and I'm so glad I am. And thank you so much, Lisa, for being here on the Amy Ehlers Show. 
Thank you, Amy. Until next time, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of your life. 